You're listening to the Discovery COVID-19 podcast. I'm Azania Mosaka, and I'll be speaking to expert guests to help you better understand coronavirus disease 2019, as well as how best to manage your health, well-being and financial security during this time. Nurses, doctors, frontline medical workers and hospital support staff are all watching this outbreak unfold up close and in real time. What is it like for doctors on the front line of the coronavirus pandemic? Well, today we speak to Dr. Vinesh Mudli, who is a nephrologist working at the front line, having treated a COVID-19 patient. Dr. Mudli, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I know we are talking about something that's really close to your heart because so often as society, we talk about this pandemic in very different terms, removed from it. We are potentially affected by it, will be affected by it. But healthcare workers are in a particularly unique position. How have you found the position of healthcare workers in battling this pandemic? An example, coming into contact with uh, my first uh, uh, confirmed COVID-19 case, the first emotion is that is, is, we know that it's been happening around the world, uh, but when you face with your first case, it's, uh, it's disbelief, fear, you know, we're not portrayed as heroes, but uh, we're also human, and uh, uh, fear uh, is, is one of the emotions that we all experience because we know how contagious and how deadly this, uh, this virus can be. We've, t- we've taken an oath to help our, our fellow human beings. We are t- definitely at the forefront in fighting this, this, this disease. Um, we're putting ourselves on the line at risk. Mm-hmm. We, we, we have comorbidities ourselves. So we, I think the public feel, you know, or they don't often realize that we also uh, have comorbidities. Uh, and, and, you know, in a personal perspective, you know, I, I'm, I'm a chronic asthmatic. However, you have to deal with that and, and, and take all the precautions that are necessary and having to manage, uh, well, patients who are under investigation or confirmed cases. Yeah. Um, I remember when I went and got my test done and the message at yeah. the time, of course, was to, when you call ahead, to warn mm. Um, the practitioner, you know, to to alert them that you have traveled and that these are the symptoms that you're experiencing. And, of course, they receive you uh, with uh, great caution. Um, They receive you ready, in fact, for all sorts of eventualities. But hearing you Mm. speak of, you know, dealing with your first case, dealing with the case that is confirmed, that you yourselves also feel a sense of trepidation and fear. And yet in society, we've always said, you know, and I think doctors are heroes. Um, do you feel mm-hmm. that there is space for you to express this vulnerability, this fear that you experience, this also uncertainty that you go into work with every day? We, we, we have to internalize it. We would probably only discuss how you're feeling with colleagues, uh, and, and a close family, but on the outside you've got to put on a brave face because uh, you did you you know if if you're 
uh, unsure and, 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 and show anxiety when you know, your allied staff and Western staff, they need to see the confidence within you for them to, 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 to be confident as well. So you can't, it is difficult, you know, we, 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 we internalize it. It's a difficult one. It's, it's really difficult because, you know, we've got to go yes. home and, uh, our, you know, we've got kids, we've got children. And when How we old is your faced, child? My daughter's going to be six in June. And, you mm-hmm. know, having, having had to manage the first, my first patient, uh, you, can't, uh, you can't have any direct contact with your with a six-year-old. <laughs> that's, a, that's not easy to explain to a six-year-old. Uh, were you going home during that time while you I were was, treating? I was, yes, I was, I was going home, you know, going, uh, seeing the patient and saying, okay, I said that I'm going to go and self-isolate somewhere else is easier said than done. And your family partner, they also want you at home. Uh, they're mm-hmm. just not going to let you go and, you know, rent a place or, or stay in South stay somewhere for two weeks and not and not, not see you. So yeah, I was, I was going home, but uh, having to to change uh, uh, as soon as I got home in, in our in our garage, and then uh, going straight up, you know, to take uh, take a shower and uh, but still avoiding that direct contact and maintaining your. Uh, one and a half to two meter sort of social distance distancing and using a, a, a spare room. Uh, so yeah, it's not easy. Uh, and, and then you know, you, when will it stop? You know, because you can do it for the first two for two weeks uh, and thereafter, and if you're feeling well, try to go back to to, to normality. But uh, you're going to be faced with another patient under investigation soon. So mm. it doesn't end. So it's, 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 it's very difficult. You know, uh, lots of so things go through your mind mm. uh, as to, you know, whether your, <laughs> this is reality as to whether your uh, finances are in order and, 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 you know, those sort of things. <laughs> it sounds like, you know, one's exaggerating, but uh, with the healthcare workers that are being affected and actually uh, succumbing to the illness, uh, it's a reality. Uh, it is a reality. I think yeah. uh, many across the world also just felt a sense of devastation at the numbers coming out of Italy. 66 mm-hmm. medical workers um, yeah. uh, have died due to the coronavirus outbreak there. And even locally, yeah. you know, South Africans have been mourning the loss and the passing of Professor Gita Ramji, who contributed yes. immensely to research and the fight against HIV. And so... Um, it is something that we're starting to get a sense of because you are doctors and medical workers are also quite vulnerable. This is the kind of virus that l- renders you quite vulnerable as well. Yeah. You know, as much as uh, we, we will take the uh, precautions as the guidelines suggest you know, in the national, with the NICB guidelines, there's always room for error, especially if you're inundated with patients and you've got sick patients. A lot of ethics comes into it. You know, should we be doing certain procedures if we're not the best trained to do it? But when, you, when the patient's being compromised in front of you, you know, what do you do? 
So, it, and, and, you know, with certain procedures like intubation, very high risk of contamination and, and spread, yeah. even despite uh, measures that you may take. So it's, it's, it's extremely scary. And, you know, we've had incidents being reported where the testing itself is, is, is not 100%. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. And this makes us even more afraid. We get false negative results. And quite and up to thirty percent of results can be false and negative, false negative, and then you let your guard down, and uh, you know you you do further testing, and the patient's uh, testing comes back uh, positive. So this is actually this is reality. This is what's been happening, and this mm-hmm. has happened. So yeah, we we uh, like I said, we only get to express it among colleagues uh, what yes. we feel. Yes. Uh, yes. Uh, so I just yeah. I just want to understand um, the scenario you were painting earlier on. We Mm. know some of the challenges, of course, in our healthcare system in South Africa. And um, I want us to address some of those areas. As you said, there are vulnerabilities at different stages, particularly intubation, for instance, when treating a patient. Um, And of course, depending on the numbers of patients and the workload at that time, this makes it possible for lots of mistakes to happen. Uh, doctors are human. Yeah. Our conditions are not perfect. And so clearly this further adds to the level or the feelings of vulnerability. Can you give me a sense of what is happening in our hospitals in the process of treating a patient with COVID-19? The, the patients that are being, uh, well, should be admitted are, are the very sick patients. Uh, and already, you know, these patients are, a lot of patients do already have comorbidities that, that put them under very high risk. Patients are getting triaged uh, according to risk scores and frailty scores. And, you know, if they're needing care in hospital, then what doctors are trying to do is to uh, cohort patients within the general ward or well, not general ward, I mean, in an isolated general ward or in a high care or ICU setting. And this is also to help us because, you know, we are, we are a limited resource and to limit exposure to doctors. So you, you get a doctor maybe on duty for, for a few days at a time and then he or she may then take time off to then self-isolate and while another doctor takes over uh, for the next few days. Like what's happening in, in, in Spain and Italy, that's what we're afraid of here as well, uh, in that difficult decisions may need to be taken if we run out of resources, mm. uh, which is a further strain on us. Uh, you know, Having to decide which patient gets uh, escalation of treatment and which patient doesn't qualify for it. Yes, uh, are you are you so, are you potentially uh, quite worried about the triage process? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, the triage when it when it comes to having when it comes to choosing, you know, which patient uh, if it if it comes to that, you know, which patient do you save and which patient do you not, or just give palliative care to? There's a lot of guidelines. There's a lot of guidelines that. Uh, uh, being published uh, as to the triage. And so I don't think that the triage is a problem. It's just um, when it comes down comes down to it and 
our resources are exhausted and there's a lack of ventilators, um, then we're going to be faced with a lot of ethical decisions. And uh, we have had like, support, I think, you know, from the, our governing bodies and our medical associations that, that, and, uh, that, and our profession, professional bodies that will support us in these decisions, but it's not going to be made uh, unilaterally. It's going to be a decision among a few designated mm. uh, physicians and specialists. There's also a lot of, um, of potential therapies that have been looked at, uh, and there's um, a lot of controversy around them. Uh, so really, a lot of physicians, are, there's no consensus as to mm-hmm. you know, what treatment works, what doesn't work. So it's going to be left down to the to, to, to individual hospital policy, individual physician um, interpretation of the data and what's out there. Um, so yeah, that, that's also scary. I mean, because a lot of uh, treatment hasn't been there's, there haven't been randomized controlled trials, which we, which is the basis of how we decide on treatment, evidence based. Right. Um, so for now, there's a lot of um, people are not sure. Physicians are not sure uh, what's the best for, for the patient. Um, the other question that, that's been prominent is around PPE. Um, you yeah. spoke about you know, the ethics that um, have come to the fore in light of treating patients at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, so the protective equipment that you have been provided, yes. does, it, does it add, does it provide you with the sense of comfort that at least there is some means of protecting yourselves from the virus? It does. It does. So we, we we're using gloves. We double. We can double glove. You know, uh, in respirator masks, visors, and hats and gowns. You know, even with those, um, the PPEs are a limited resource. So, again, the physicians. There's no consensus. Well, there is. I mean, NICD is giving us guidelines. You know, when should, when do we use a normal surgical mask, and when do we use a a respirator mask, like an N95 mask. But, you know, you can, I, I can tell you that um, a lot of doctors are going, not, are going to use what they think is best, even mm. if the guidelines suggest, you no, know, a surgical mask will be fine. Yes. But they're going to use what they feel is the best. And, and you may run out of those sort of respirator N95 masks. We've been advised only to use them with high-risk procedures. But um, those on the front line are going to use what they think is best. And soon these resources are going to run out. The hospitals are providing it at the moment, uh, but it it is a limited resource. Uh, Ideally, this patient should be in sort of negative, what we call negative pressure isolation rooms, uh, where we'd feel more comfortable. Uh, but that's again in the private sector. Hospitals have not many of these. My hospital, you know, hospital may have two or three. So yeah, and and if you look at the PPEs that we've been, we're using again a, a lot of information being shared and what's being used elsewhere in Italy, in where they've had zero uh, transmission to doctors and, and in China. Again, we've got to use what we provided with. Um, right. And, yeah, and um, 
you can even use it with patients who are under suspicion, not just mm-hmm. with the confirmed cases. You know, every case that comes through the doors with with a, a high fever because of now because of local transmission it has to be treated uh, as a potential COVID case. Um, yes, and we've got the flu season coming, so the burden of disease is going to to be that yeah. much more compounded by more. COVID. Lose. Does this period make you nervous at all? It is. It does. Most patients, with the, most of the patients coming in, probably get screened as well for the for influenza. It's difficult. It's difficult. You could just be treating a patient with a normal community acquired pneumonia, but you don't know that. Mm-hmm. Um, so every patient is treated as, or should be treated, if they've got symptoms of fever, shortness of breath, high high degree of comorbidity. We're having to treat all these patients as uh, we're not happy to manage them as uh, not as suspects. If you, if you get what I'm saying. Um, yes. Um, for you, it's also a double stress or burden, if I could say, because your wife is also a medical doctor, and you will both work. And as you said, you have a young child, um, a six-year-old, yeah. and. Both of you, as parents, are going into a very risky environment. This must surely yeah. be that add to to the pressure of this pe- treating this pandemic. Uh, definitely. Um, well, she's a she's a hematopathologist, so she's um, more or less confined to a a large uh, laboratory. Mm-hmm. However still not, you know, still has to go to work and, and is being exposed. But what, the strain is that <clears throat> with the lockdown, you know, the help that you used to have is not there anymore. And we certainly don't want to expose our parents or my child's grandparents to us because we happen to go out and come back home. So my wife and I are... Uh, <laughs> And taking, sharing the, the load. It's not a load, but it's a reality. Someone has to look after my six-year-old daughter. Mm. So we, we've got to take it in turns. When she's, she has to go to work, then I'm, I, I've got to be at home. Uh, and when she comes back, then, then I, I, go to, I go to hospital to see my patients. Um, yes. So, yeah. So that's, that's it is extremely difficult. Yeah, I can imagine because uh, as you described earlier on, what you have to do when you come home, uh, distancing mm-hmm. from your child, that it's changed the home life fundamentally. Yeah, what we, you know, we take for granted uh, what we, you know, in our, in our daily lives, just the mere ability to, to hug your, your, your loved one, your child. And now you, gotta, now you think twice. <laughs> Uh, before you do anything, it's difficult. It's difficult. Yeah. yeah. What do you think of the lockdown? The lockdown, I think, is uh, I think uh, the president made a tough but uh, necessary decision, and it's it's, it's really you know, the only uh, means that has worked across the across the in, in, across the world. Um, some places have been more successful than others. But, you know, where they've been less stringent, they've, they've seen that the disease has spread. So I, I, I think it's very necessary. Uh, uh, and, but, you know, I do 
understand a lot of the sort of underprivileged communities and those not so uh, privileged to live in um, states and, and those that are living in the informal settlements. You know, I feel for them. You can understand why they may not be happy with what's happening. And those living a day to day with uh, uh, not having, uh, not being able to to earn a living, extremely difficult. But uh, you know, if we got to look at South Africa as a whole and what's going to help us, it's 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 absolutely necessary. It was done timelessly, and hopefully, we see the the benefits of it. Absolutely. Now. We also see the message, particularly on social media, doctors saying to the public, I stay at work for you, so please stay at home for us. And in South Africa, as you said, we're seeing different levels of adherence to the lockdown. What would your message be to the South African public? I definitely ascribe to that. Um, By limiting exposure to the healthcare workers, alone, uh, you are protecting us, you're protecting us from this uh, potentially lethal disease. If you're uh, asymptomatic, uh, if, if you've got s- symptoms as such, you know, then by all means test, but do so in designated facilities via your GP. If you're, if you're symptomatic and, and you're ill, yes, then you need to come, then you need help, you need to come to hospital. But um, I definitely agree with, with that. You know, by staying at home, you're limiting transmission to, to the healthcare workers and mm. to your community. But again, I understand how difficult it is. And as much as we may criticize uh, those that um, are finding it difficult, you know, we're not in their shoes. So uh, yeah, you can only um, ask of the uh, to do what you can within your means. You know, you can't ask, you can't expect someone not to to have the basic amenities like water, drinking water. You know, how they then they're gonna just they're gonna starve to death, uh, mm. so, which which is worse. You know, <laughs> but. Um, mm. Um, it's definitely a policy that will take us a long way to, to, to trying to see the end of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I really want to thank you for yeah. your honesty and speaking to us so candidly about this uh, particular outbreak and the, 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 the stress, yeah. the high levels of stress that our medical practitioners are, are experiencing. I think it's an important message. Um, we have to stay mm-hmm. positive, but at the same time, we have to do our part in supporting you all in this fight against uh, COVID-19. The reality is that there is the social contract, the social contract between uh, healthcare workers and society. And... On the one hand, of course, you've made a commitment to serve, but on the other hand, there is this very real risk to your own lives and the lives of your families. And so this must be a difficult path for you to negotiate and navigate through this pandemic. Yeah. It's easy for people on the outside to quote, you know, the Hippocratic oath that we took. We believe in it. 
but the, the the danger is so real. It's unbelievable. And like you said, we we we've got little ones and 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 and, and wives and parents that 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 we we also think about every second, every minute now uh, with this what what's what's uh, happening. But I think we make commitments to our institutions. Uh, we, we we are committed and. We will take all the precautions as long as we are provided with the personal protection equipment, then we will go down fighting. The worst case scenario is when if we run out of these uh, PPEs, then, then it's going to be extremely difficult. The then decisions are going to be heartbreaking and, and I, I don't know what the clinicians are going to do. Um, clinicians will face this head on and and provided that we have the, uh, you know, protective equipment. Uh, I don't think uh, too many clinicians will back out. Um, It's not in us. Uh, (laughs) That's what we've signed up for. Mm. Well, on that note, I really want to thank you. I'm very moved almost to tears thinking about our doctors being the warriors that are going to keep us safe at this time. And as you said, you you would rather go down fighting this particular condition, this pandemic for all of us to remain safe. Thank you so much, Dr. Mugli. No problem. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I think the message Thanks is well. safe. Yeah, thank you. Well, I think the message is clear. Uh, adherence to the rules saves our doctors' lives. So let's stay home, keep a safe distance, wash our hands, cover our mouths yeah. when we cough. And if we're sick, we have have to have to call ahead and alert medical practitioners of our symptoms so that they're well prepared. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast was brought to you by Discovery. Stay informed, stay healthy.